Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. My name is Jim, and I am one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for being here to worship Jesus with us today. Hello, Auditorium 2 across the way. You guys are stunning, per usual. Uh, if you are here today and you are visiting with us, we're extra special glad that you chose to join us and worship with us. If you have any questions at all about life here at Fellowship Greenville, you can stop by guest services in the commons over here near Auditorium One. We also have a place in the back of Auditorium Two over there. And we have a team at each place ready to help, help you out in any way that they can. <clears throat> and if you are here and you call Fellowship Greenville home, we love that. We're thankful that you wanna be a part of uh, God's family here. And if you have questions about getting further involved, you know the drill, go by Next Steps <clears throat> out in the commons. And we have a team there um, that can let you know about community groups and Bible studies or service and mission opportunities. We have two mission trips, leaving one today and one Tuesday this week. So God is at work here and he's moving in and through you, uh, his people. But yes, at Next Steps, we have a team that would love <clears throat> to chat with you uh, and talk about whatever you need to talk about. Uh, also, if you are newer with us, you uh, need to know that this summer we're doing a series called Church Matters. That's the name of our series for the summer, Church Matters. But why is it called Church Matters, Jim? Thank you so much for asking. Ultimately, <clears throat> because the church matters to Jesus. The church matters to Jesus. In the face of us deserving death, like we just sang about, he laid down his life for us so that we could live. And he also promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And we believe that one of the ways he's gonna build us up is by us humbly and slowly considering like quote unquote church matters by us seeking to understand our mission and our worship and our call to belong and our call to serve and so much more. And we've said it nearly every week this summer and so it bears repeating. And I want you to feel it, not just hear it. Hey, look, the church of Jesus Christ is not going anywhere. She's outlasted religions and politics, amen. Religion and politics and empires and nations. She has experienced persecution and oppression and even martyrdom. The church has also lived in hypocrisy and idolatry and committed great acts of violence, but still she remains. And so the question is looming large over us. What does it mean to truly be the church? And I don't know about you guys, but it's been powerful for me. And I know uh, so many other people have mentioned this too, to explore different dynamics of this question throughout the summer. And today we get to think about it from another angle. Today we get to explore a really unique uh, church matter, if you will, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you wanna go ahead and get there in your Bibles, that will be good, great, wonderful, awesome, thank you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I promise that we will get there in just a few minutes, 1 Corinthians 12. <clears throat> now, uh, when the lovely Sarah, Joanna Kraft, and I got married, which will be 17 years ago on July 29th, not July 28th. We got showered with tons of gifts and a handful of them. Uh, we didn't get to open till like a few weeks after the honeymoon and stuff because we're so crazy busy with everything. So we sit down to open these gifts and one of the gifts happened to come in a bigger box from some friends that we know who also recently just got married. We'll just call them Jill and Bill. And we were intrigued, one, because it's a bigger box and you'll never like completely like let go of your inner kid like big box Christmas day. So one, we were intrigued because bigger box. <clears throat> two, because we knew that Jill and Bill were poor like us and they didn't have, they didn't have coin for a, a big huge box like that. And so we slowly unwrapped this mega box and it ended up being something that wasn't on our registry. You remember like the little guns at Target, you can do all that. 
Like it wasn't on our registry, which is fine, but it was a set of like glassware, like nicer glassware that you put up in your cabinets. And it was nice. It wasn't very Jim and Sarah, still a great gift. And so we took out a couple of these glasses. We're like, oh, cool. We might not ever use these. And like, we looked at them for a second. And then we go to like put the glasses back in the box and close the box lid. And we notice like below, this is the top of the glasses, like below the top level of the glasses, like a card, but the card had been unopened and it was like tucked under the envelope, little fold thing. And we're like, dude, what's this? What's going on? This is not a card on the outside that says, hey, Jim and Sarah, we love you. So we're like, what in the heck is this? So we pick up this card (laughs) and we open the card up and on the inside of the card, it says, dear Jill and Bill, congrats on your wedding day. (laughs) Now, we ain't at Christmas. This ain't white elephant exchange nonsense. It's my wedding and from their wedding, I got the wedding re-gift, okay? Now, <laughs> that, that is funny enough on its own to re-gift a fresh wedding present is like entry-level chuckle-worthy, but then the fact that they left the card in there bumps it up to hysterical, it really does. But <clears throat> this is also the gift that keeps on giving, and, and here's why, you have to think about this. This is, a, this is a gutsy move for Jill and Bill. It's a bold re-gift besides the, the, the card faux pas, because check it out. If, and I gotta fill in the narrative blanks here. If Bill's aunt gave him those glasses because she knew that her sweet little pinch on the cheek nephew would forever, ever cherish them, and then family Thanksgiving dinner rolls around and his sweet aunt asks him if they're enjoying those glasses, Bill's whole life is a lie, right? And I just... I just love to think about that. Great, great, great work, Bill. Now, <laughs> here's the deal. Uh, lucky for, for Jill and Bill, Sarah and I are not like, <clears throat> we're not big gifts people, so it <clears throat> wasn't a big deal. Like we're not big uh, gift giving people. And I think if it was a more gift minded person, then big feelings could have been hurt. And I, I, what I'm kind of referencing here is I know a lot of you guys know about the, the love language thing that we all experience love differently. There's five major love languages, gifts of giving, words of affirmation, physical ter- touch, acts of service, and quality time. And out of those five gifts for me are last place. They are bottom. And I genuinely, truly, and deeply appreciate like the person behind the gift, love Jill and Bill. Glassware, don't give a flip, right? That's, that's me. <clears throat> I'm not saying if you ever give me a gift, that's gonna be the case. I just, couldn't, I just couldn't connect with the old glassware here. Now, sadly, this low score on gifts also makes me a below average gift giver. Um, after, uh, like, uh, and being a weak gift giver is also a bummer because <clears throat> here's the thing. After a while in my life, I've realized that there are wonderful people in my life for whom gift giving is a big deal and it's their top love language thing. <clears throat> and I have zero idea how their brains function. Like all day, all month, all year, are they just running around going, okay, I know what I got you last year, holiday, birthday, Christmas, Valentine's. Like, are they just doing that all the time? And they have these massive file cabinets in their brain and they go home and after everybody goes to sleep, they get up out of the bed and it's like spreadsheet time. Like, I don't know how these people, I don't know how their brains work. And I don't know if they have like offshore accounts and extra gift budgets. I just don't get it. And because of these beautiful, gifty people in my life, when it's their birthday, I'm like a deer in the headlights. This is how I say happy birthday to them. I'm so sorry. Like I just, I I don't know how to do it because they're, I'm not fluent in their love language and I just feel like I've failed them. And 
All of this also means that I can be a little scroogey at Christmas time and Sarah is better at gifts than me and so she's really gracious to help me chill out because <clears throat> she just keeps it all in order. Um, and furthermore, <clears throat> and hear me out, please be patient here. <clears throat> I don't like the seemingly mandatory nature of gifts sometimes. Like try not buying your wife a gift on Valentine's. <clears throat> right? How's that going to work out? Like, I don't like birthday, Christmas. Like, you're expected to do the gift thing, and there's something within my whiny idealism that makes those gifts not as pure somehow because you're supposed to do it. And please hear me. I know that that's a crazy thought. I know that it is. I know it's absurd, and I just, I just need a little help up here because I'm not a gift guy, and I don't totally understand it. I know I need gifty people in my life. I also know that I'm not ever going to be gifty people and so I guess what I'm saying is just help your boy out. Be patient with me. Pretty please. Thank you. Now, here's why we've had to do a few minutes of a bad story and Jim psychologizing himself. <clears throat> um, personal confusion and confession here. Is I actually think that a lot of us take my weak approach to gifts and that's how we go to God and think about his gifts. Like we just don't do it well. I believe that. And I'm not... I'm not mainly talking about the eternal gift of love in the person of his son to die for us or the father and son's gift of love in the person of the spirit to dwell with us. I'm talking about all the gifts that fill our lives on a daily basis, regular everyday gifts. And the first reason why I don't think we approach them well is because we just don't think about them in that way. We don't consider them as gifts to begin with. And then when we do, we actually think about them often poorly or passively. Like what's the purpose of this thing? Am I like, what's, what's the purpose of this? It's just a thing. It's not a gift, right? And why do I have these things and blessings and gifts? And why do other people have other ones that are different? And does God have some giant spreadsheet for all this stuff? And also, like, I know that I'm supposed to need people who are different than me and gifted different than me. Like, you need that. You don't need to be around everybody who's just like you all the time. I need that. But most of the times, maybe sometimes, I'm more jealous of their blessings and gifts that I am thankful for them, right? Maybe you roll like that too. So how can we think on God's gifts and not downshift and be Scrooge about all the stuff? And one of the main ways that the Bible talks about all these things is under the language and terminology of spiritual gifts. Now, this does not mean that the gifts are invisible and only vaguely mystical and spiritual. No, it means that they are gifts from the Holy Spirit himself. They are spirit gifts. And there are spiritual gift lists throughout the New Testament, and we can see the spiritual gifts in action in nearly every book of the New Testament. And we have to remember, these gifts are not coerced. Like, for God, these gifts are not occasioned by birthdays and holidays. They're not mandatory. <clears throat> Rather, he freely and purely bestows these things on us. And basically, they're supposed to be like practical grace in our life. And so, <clears throat> if we want to be faithful followers of Jesus, delighting in his gifts and his grace and his love, we have to kind of patiently ponder what these spiritual gifts are and how they work. And so our question today is really simple. This is it. How do we rightly understand, like how do we think about it? How do we rightly understand and employ spiritual gifts in the church today? How do we rightly understand and employ the spiritual gifts in the church? <clears throat> now, as some of you know, there's a whole category of sub-questions that comes along with this big question that people like to wrangle, wrangle about those sub-questions. <clears throat> and I'm not saying they're unimportant. We are gonna bump up against several of those today. 
But I am saying that we can definitely understand the forest even if we have a few question marks beside a few trees. And so that's why we're broadly asking, how do we rightly understand and employ spiritual gifts in the church? And to answer our question, we're gonna look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses one through 31. That's right, whole shabam, whole chapter. So uh, buckle up as I read, see if you can follow me. See if you can follow Paul's train of thought, try to focus, and to confess our gratitude for Holy Scripture. After reading the entire thing, I'll say my line, which is the word of God for the people of God, and then comes your line, out loud and proud. Thanks be to God, make it a good one. Here we go, how do we understand the gifts? 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse one. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Verse 12. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and we're all made to drink from one spirit. For the body does not consist of many members, but of, of one member, but many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. Verse 21, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, nor can the head say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church 
first apostles and second prophets and then teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and helping and administrating and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you still a more excellent way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> that's a lot. That's drinking from a fire hose, thanks a lot, Paul. <clears throat> and if you're paying any kind of attention, then that means you have questions, right? Good job, well done. And because we won't be able to get to all the questions today, I have a book commercial for you, and it's one that covers a lot more ground than we're gonna be able to do today. I've mentioned it before. It's called Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God by Gordon Fee. Uh, he's a New Testament scholar who passed away last year. He's a hero of mine. I actually cried when he passed away. And in this book, uh, Gordon Fee does an excellent job thinking about the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so I highly commend this volume to you if you want to think a little bit more on all these things. But as we consider what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12, we have to remember that he isn't writing a spiritual gifts how-to manual. Paul's actually responding to some strange <clears throat> questions and happenings in the church at Corinth. Look at verse one, look, look, look. Now concerning spiritual gifts. He starts multiple chapters in the book this way because he's responding to different questions uh, that the Corinthians had. Now look at how he finishes verse one. Look at the first thing he says about it. First thing he says about spiritual gifts is, hey, I don't want you to be uninformed about them. Meaning ignorance isn't an option here when it comes to the gifts and maturity in Christ. You gotta know about this stuff. And Jason hinted at this in his sermon a few weeks ago and Dallas mentioned it last week. The spiritual gifts <clears throat> are not disposable when it comes to Christ-like growth and formation. This is not like an option at a buffet. And because of this, and because of the nature of this chapter, here's the game plan for answering our question this morning about understanding and employing the gifts of the Spirit in the church. And this is probably not a wise preacher move, but oh well, win some, you lose some. I'm gonna try to do uh, 10 FAQs, frequently asked questions, on spiritual gifts in 10 minutes, right? Now this is fertile soil for a preacher lie, and so I'm gonna need somebody to hold me accountable on this. Uh, so I'm gonna do the 10 and 10, I'm gonna try, <clears throat> and then I'm gonna take a deep breath and give us a big one-liner to answer our question, and I'm gonna try to draw all my answers and all this from the passage as best as I can. And I'm, here's why we're doing this, here's why we're doing this. Yes, to understand Paul in 1 Corinthians, but also we're doing this, hey, Fellowship Greenville, look, we're doing this so that we can feel confident and humble and excited about how the Spirit has gifted each one of us so that we can better join Jesus in what he's doing uh, in and through this church. So here we go, <clears throat> spiritual gifts, frequently asked questions, 10 in 10 minutes. Somebody set a timer, pretty please, we'll give it a shot here. On my mark, get set, go. Question one, does everybody get one? Yes. Verse seven, look at verse seven. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if verse three, you say Jesus is Lord, that means you're Christian, if you say Jesus is Lord, you get a gift, you get a gift, you get a gift, you all get a gift, Merry Christmas, right? And then he lists a bunch of those gifts in verses eight through 10. Question number two, when do you get the gifts? <clears throat> Honest pastor answer, no clue. You don't get them before you come to faith in Jesus. You get them sometime as you learn to walk with Jesus and grow in your relationship with Jesus. Uh, this illustration helps me. 
If you make the team in high school and the coach assigns you a position, you still have to work at it, right? You gotta fine tune how you play your part or play your instrument. And you have to do that really well. Like Paul tells Timothy, hey, fan into flame the gift that was given to you. But Paul also says here in 1 Corinthians to desire and pray for the gifts. So when do you get them? I don't know. Number three, can Christians get more than one spiritual gift? Also, yes. But the goal is not to see who can get the most, kids. That's not it. That's, that's not Christmas. It's not a competition. These are gifts. They're grace gifts. The root of the word for spiritual gift is the word grace. The goal, the move is to rightly steward what is given to you, what God has entrusted to you. You need to rightly steward that, like Jesus' parable of the talents. And I think having more than one gift is implied from Paul's language here. But I also can speak from 20 years of ministry experience and I've seen godly men and women exercise multiple gifts, clearly different gifts in a local church setting. So I'm sticking with yes on can Christians have more than one. Question number four, how do spiritual gifts relate to natural abilities? Maybe you noticed this as we read through some of the gifts listed here seem like they could be a little bit closer, closer to natural abilities or learned characteristics. Like if you come from a really nice mama and daddy who follow Jesus and you follow Jesus and you're really nice, is that like personality genetics or is that a spiritual gift, right? That's the question. Now, gifts like healing and tongues and miracles, these don't seem like learned traits necessarily. So here's my answer, and this is an important like plot twist one here. If the question is, how do spiritual gifts relate to natural abilities? Here's an answer that we need to uh, reckon with. If you care about this stuff, you're gonna care about the quote unquote uh, supernatural gifts here, and we're gonna talk about those in a second. And supernatural isn't the best word, I get that. But here's my point, listen, here's the plot twist. In Paul's brain, All the gifts are quote unquote supernatural. Every single one of them is radical spirit empowerment. Every single spiritual gift is heaven breaking in through your life. Is the kingdom of God come in your day to day? All the way down to encouraging words and acts of service, all the way from meal trains to miracles, all of it. So in a very real sense, the spirit wants to use different members of Jesus's church to make known the life and ministry of Jesus to others. And so on one level, it's all miraculous. And sometimes it looks more like natural abilities and sometimes it doesn't. Fair? Number five. And here's where we're going to get kind of fragile on some of these. Are all the gifts equal? Yes and no. Look at verse seven again. Each gift, each gift is called a manifestation of the spirit. So they're all the same. Scroll down. Verse 31, verse 31. Paul says to desire the higher gifts. So apparently there are some that weigh more. So are the gifts equal or not? Well, they are equal in essence, but distinct in function. There's no superiority or inferiority with the gifts, but there is delineation in action. So there's equality in purpose, but distinction in content, if you will. Now, the parallel for me here is it's the same With God as Trinity, each member of the Trinity is equal in essence, but distinct in function. If you look at verses four through six, the Father and Son didn't die on the cross, but, or excuse me, the Father and Spirit didn't die on the cross, but the Son did, and Father, Son, and Spirit are all equally divine, and that's why, verses four to six, Paul does his little Trinitarian poetic thing there. So are the gifts equal? Yes and no. Question six, aren't some gifts just basic Christianity and spiritual growth? Again, yes and no. Look at verse eight. Look at what it says. 
To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. I look up here. Hey, if you're a Christian, let me tell you what you need to do with the rest of your life. You just need to pursue wisdom. Do it. James 1, Matthew 10, just go get you some wisdom, all right? Do it. But here, here it's a gift. And you know what else Paul says? He also says that faith and evangelism are gifts. Should we just do those things? Well, yes. And also, there are some people who have the gift of wisdom whereby they can see things in your life with a nuanced and fresh perspective and special perspective that you can't see and you need them to speak into your life. And they might come alongside you and pray with you and pray for you. And because of their presence and wisdom, you might grasp things from a completely different perspective and be pushed to trust and pay attention to Jesus more. And guess what that is? When that happens, that's the gift of wisdom. So should all Christians pursue wisdom or do some especially have the gift of wisdom? You bet. And there's a handful of gifts that are like this. Question Number seven, and here we go. What about the the weird ones? What about the interesting (coughs) gifts, Jim? We're still supposed to do all that stuff? Tongues, (coughs) healing, miracles, prophecy, depending on how you define it. Does that stuff still happen? Help me out. Now, (coughs) if you have read any theological anything ever, you will know that this is a very fragile conversation (coughs) and that there are incredible godly people who have different answers and different responses to this. And here's Short response. There is nothing in scripture that tells us plainly that this stuff has stopped. But for many of us, there is a lot in our experience that tells us plainly that these things have been abused in many church contexts. And here we have to remember that we can't let our experience get in the way of a faithful reading of scripture. And so, as odd as it might be for some of you, we believe this stuff still happens. We also believe that we should be open to the Holy Spirit working and moving in these ways still. Also, side thing, this is a very American discussion. I've talked to pastors and ministers in Africa and in the Middle East and in China, and they don't really wrestle with this question. They experience it, which is a beautiful and separate discussion. And I got places to be because question number eight. Here we go. <clears throat> All right, let's talk about it a little more. How do you f- define the more uh, interesting gifts? I'd love to. Speaking in tongues is speaking in a language initially unknown to the person speaking. No Duolingo in the pocket involved. That's not what we're doing here. There seems to be a more instantaneous, spontaneous, and personal version of this if you keep looking in Corinthians. But I've also known missionaries to completely learn a new language in just a couple months, which can also be a version because this is used for mission in Acts 2. Next, miracles are exceptional works of God through people that he chooses to bring about based upon his own sovereign timing and choice. It's God's choice and sovereignty that determine the gifts. That's verse 11 and verse 18. He appoints them as he chooses. And prophecy is not a magic eight ball. It's not telling the future innately. It's telling God's truth to God's people directly. That's what it is. Peter calls all of scripture prophecy. And sometimes it seems as though prophecy is just another word for preaching. Sometimes it's reminding people of what is most real and true. Sometimes it can be a more mysterious calling out to somebody or calling somebody out of sin. And maybe this is why Paul later says, that we should all desire to prophesy because in Paul's mind, if you keep reading in his letters, prophecy has a very broad definition. 
Now, question number nine, and this is just kind of a fun one. Why do people insist on using 1 Corinthians 13 at their weddings when it's clearly about spiritual gifts? That's a great question. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is a phenomenal poetic passage and definition on, of, uh, of love, and it's defined a, a, alongside spiritual gifts. But what Paul wants you to know is that love is the ultimate gift itself, so much so that it should be married to every other gift. And I think that's why the first fruit is, now the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? So in Paul's mind, he's fine with you using that at your wedding. Question number 10, finally, I think I'm gonna make it, kids. Here we go. Are the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 <coughs> exhaustive? Is this all the gifts that exist? Answer, <clears throat> no. There are spirit gift lists in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. And I'm not gonna read all of them, but if you wanna turn your attentions to the screens and see all the different kinds of things that the Spirit stirs in God's people, these are the kinds of things that are listed in the New Testament. <clears throat> and maybe as you're looking through these, your eyes are drawn to maybe one or two, <clears throat> and you go, hey, I think I have that one, or Lord, would you, Holy Spirit, would you stir that one in me? Or maybe you're thinking about other people. Oh, I know what's her name. She definitely has that gift. <clears throat> now, it's good to think about these and think about how the Spirit is wiring uh, God's people for life in the body. And there are dozens of gifts that the Spirit births and nurtures within us as Jesus' family. <clears throat> but here's the deal. And you can take a picture of that or go screenshot it later on, on YouTube or whatever you need to do. But here's why we're doing all this. You ready? Here's why we're doing it all. Because of verse one, I don't want us to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. We can't be uninformed. That's the first thing he says about the gifts. And we don't really talk about spiritual maturity like that. So the first thing he says is don't be uninformed. So we need to think well about it and time. What I got? Has anybody got, did anybody click me? 1026? <clears throat> I thought I got it. I actually think it was 1025 last service. So I'm consistent. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I don't feel like a liar if it's under 10 and a half. So that's, that's, that's good. Now, <clears throat> um, Here's the reason we did the 10, not for funsies, but because we're not supposed to be uninformed. And that's why you got the frequently asked questions. And I hope that they helped your brain get flowing <clears throat> as to how God's spirit is at work and maybe how he has or might want to empower you uh, to service <clears throat> and to help here at Fellowship Greenville. Now, before I get to our, our big one-liner answer to our question, our big idea, um, I feel like a couple reminders slash warnings are in order here. And the first is this, <clears throat> this is not another like faddish personality test. Like I do premarital counseling and stuff. I'm pro those tests, Myers-Briggs, DISC, Enneagram, Strength Finders. <clears throat> All that stuff can be really helpful, but please hear me. God's spirit is not an impersonal assessment for the end goal of self-awareness. That's not the deal. He gifts you the way he does so that you and others can be more divinely aware so that you can, verses four to six, look, be caught up into God's own Trinitarian life. And also, I know that there are some of you, <clears throat> there are some of you right now, and your heads are still spinning. You're like, oh, Jim, you're gonna have to do more about the tongues and the healing and the miracles and all that stuff. And if you still have questions about that, <clears throat> that's great. But I, I can't have you miss the big picture. <clears throat> I can't let you miss the forest. And here's the big picture. The Holy Spirit is at work in this church and in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. He's moving and stirring and active and nudging and empowering and animating and energizing and revitalizing and prompting and equipping you for your good, for others' good, and for the glory of Jesus. 
And according, get this, according to 1 Corinthians 12, there is a very real way, please get this, in which your gifts are just as important to God's plan and this church as anybody else's gift. Now, even though I get to get up here and run my big dumb mouth about the Bible and I think that the Lord uses that and I believe that's a miracle because I know me, right? Here's what I'm saying. Your gifts are just as vital to the life and health of this church family as anyone who ever leads a group, stands on a stage or serves on staff. That is Paul's point in verses 12 through 26, that the body needs every piece to be the body. If I got legs and feet and arms and hands and torso and eyes and nose and mouth and teeth and neck and chin and cheeks, but I got no ears, that's not a body the way a body is supposed to be. Meaning your presence and gifting is needed here at this church within these people. You, please feel this, you are not insignificant to what God is doing in the world, in Greenville and in this church. Rather, you are vital. You gotta feel that. And Jason said it a few weeks ago. I need you, you need me, and we need us. And this leads us to our big idea, final answer to our question. This is the setup. If we're trying to think about how we should rightly understand and employ spiritual gifts in the church, here we go, here it is, and it's a lot. Spiritual gifts are uniquely divine capacities given by the Spirit to every Christian for the sake of those around them, so that the life of Jesus may be seen and enjoyed more clearly. And we're gonna talk about all the pieces of this because this is way too many prepositional phrases, but let's do the whole thing one more time, the big picture. Spiritual gifts are uniquely divine capacities given by the Spirit to every single Christian for the sake of those around them, so that the life of Jesus may be seen and enjoyed more clearly. Now, this broad definition helps us with the understanding part of our question, which is great. And I hope that you can see a lot of this in 1 Corinthians 12. And if you wanna keep reading on it later, Paul's biggest section on spiritual gifts is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. That's one huge literary section on spiritual gifts. Now, briefly, we need to consider the employ part of our question. I want us to look at the different pieces of our answer that we just put on screen. So I'm gonna put it on the screens for you just a little bit differently. And notice first this, notice the second line really quickly. Unlike me, and thank God, one of God's strongest love languages is gift giving. He loves to bless his children with gifts. He's not hesitant about it at all. He loves to do it. Um, And the other thing we need to know is that these, even if it seems more natural, are divine supernatural capacities. That's line two. And so one of the main ways, hey, one of the main ways that you can start to discover, employ, and use your spiritual gift is just to start with gratitude that he's a gift-giving God. I don't think we know how to do gratitude as well as we should. Start with gratitude. I think that will open our eyes to see things better. And then beyond this, if you're curious about how the Spirit has precisely empowered you, that's the third line given by the Spirit to every Christian, we need to ask questions that might pinpoint how the Spirit has specifically wired each one of us. Think about questions like this. Hey, when people thank me, what do they thank me for? And where do I get joy out of relating to other believers? Where is there true joy for me? 
And are people blessed when I sit down and when I listen to them and when I encourage them? And, and, and hey, when I talk about the Bible, are people like, yeah, that makes total sense. Do lights go on for people when I talk about the Bible? Think about this. Do people come to you and ask you for godly wisdom or advice? Maybe do you feel a sense of hope when you pray for people for healing? Do you feel an ache for purity in the church and you feel the need to say something about it? And does it seem like normal to you? It's not extravagant to you to give away your time and your resources to help other people out, to help a friend? Does that feel normal and natural to you? We need to ask questions like this to pinpoint specifically how the Spirit has wired us. <clears throat> and listen, you can go take spiritual gifts tests. I don't wanna, I don't wanna like completely ditch those. I'm not saying that, but the real test is patience and presence in a godly community over time and doing so will make spiritual gifts rise to the surface to be used in love. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And why do you need to discover them and use them? Why? For the common good. Verse seven, look, for the common good. And so maybe Jill and Bill were onto something. Every spiritual gift is supposed to be a re-gift kind of deal. It's supposed to be given to you and then given to someone else. Jill and Bill are totally onto something, right? That's how they're supposed to work for other people. The gifts are not meant to be unused glassware shut up in a cabinet. They are meant to be given, gifted, and re-gifted and given to others. And that's how it's supposed to be, right? Now look at the last line on the screens. So that the life of Jesus may be seen and enjoyed more clearly. <clears throat> this is the purpose of all the gifts. And here's how I know it. Look at verse 27. Look down at verse 27 in your Bibles. <clears throat> now you are the body of Christ. Hey, Fellowship Greenville, look up here. I want you to feel that. Feel how nervous it should make you. Hey, you are the body of Jesus in the world. Which means... Doing the spiritual gifts rightly is about participating in and sharing in Christ's own life. That should terrify you and overjoy you. And in the weirdest and least heretical way possible, we are supposed to be Christ in and for and to the world. And that's supposed to feel a little daunting and scandalous. You are the body of Christ. and I'm gonna go for a little theologically daring move here. <clears throat> Here's my guess, I might be wrong. <clears throat> Here's my guess as to where the Apostle Paul got this metaphor of us as Christ's body. This is just a guess. When his name was Saul, and he thought he was killing Christians for God, he wasn't, and a light blinded him and <clears throat> started talking to him. Remember what the light named Jesus said? You remember? Here we go, you ready? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Pay attention. I thought he was killing Christians. Dude, this is holy ground. The resurrected and ascended Jesus considers us as himself in some mysterious way. And that territory is beyond me. I don't wanna touch that. It does sound kind of miraculous though. And the more befuddling thing to me <clears throat> is the gospel itself that makes all of this possible. The historic, actual body of Jesus was offered up on the cross so that we could be a part of the body of Jesus that is his church. He took our sin and gifted us his grace. 
He took our waywardness and gifted us his faithfulness. He took the death that belonged to us so that we could continue his own life of self-giving love. We could do that. And on the cross, the gospels say that he gave up his earthly spirit so that he could ascend to heaven and give us his eternal Holy Spirit. And this gospel is the loudest reminder that God is not reluctant or hesitant when it comes to gift giving. For him, gifts are not mandatory or coerced. For God so loved the world that he gave so that me and you could have eternal life. He gave us his son and he gave us his spirit. And now his spirit is gifting us in such a way that the world around us might encounter the resurrected Jesus if we're being faithful. And I'm telling you right now, that is miraculous. Fellowship Green, I got really good news for you. You are the body of Christ. <clears throat> you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And you are so because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for you. And you are so because of the Spirit's good gifts to you. And I hope that this morning that is both an invitation to you and incredibly sweet to you. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Spirit, we, we rejoice that you are a generous God of abundance and that you love to give gifts to your children. And we receive them all by faith, all the gifts that you want to give us. We thank you so, so, so much. And we thank you for the fountain and source of all these good gifts, which is your character revealed in the gospel of Jesus Jesus, we thank you for laying down your body on the cross for us so that we could be your body. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. You're so, so good. You're the best. Amen.